This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Three years after the start of the war in Iraq, violence and misery continue to plague the country, and conservatives and liberals alike are struggling with the question of when and under what circumstances U.S. and coalition forces should leave. In his new book, Iraq, The Logic of Withdrawal, our guest today, Anthony Arnoff, argues that the U.S. occupation is the major source of instability and suffering for the Iraqi people. Arnoff is the editor of Iraq Under Siege and co-editor with Howard Zinn of Voices of a People's History of the United States. His writing has appeared in the Financial Times, The Nation, Mother Jones, Monthly Review, and Z Magazine. Anthony Arnoff, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, what's the weather like in New York? Uh, muggy, <laughs> as you might imagine. Uh, yeah, it's been muggy out here, too. Is that a forebringer of anything? Uh, <laughs> I've, I, I've, I was there. I've been in New York in, at this time of year, and it is unbelievably muggy yeah. at times. Yeah, really. Not. Anyway, uh, our, yeah. our our weather is more and more like London, though. It's yeah. been uh, raining constantly <laughs> yeah. this month. So. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I won't even go there. That's another so, subject. So uh, recently, um, John Murtha, we've just been talking about this on the show, uh, sure. Pennsylvania congressman, says that the U.S. is the greatest threat to peace in the world. And, and you're saying pretty much the same thing in your Bush book. Could you explain why? Well, uh, I think we have to say that the invasion of Iraq has made the world a more unstable and dangerous place, not a safer place. It spurred a race towards the development of nuclear weapons as countries around the world look at the fact that Iraq was invaded not because it had weapons of mass destruction, but because it did not, whereas North Korea, which has a nuclear deterrent, uh, has not uh, been subject to an attack. So countries like Iran, uh, countries like India and Pakistan, other countries developing their nuclear programs, uh, North Korea now developing a new generation of intercontinental ballistic missiles, um, and that's uh, made the world more dangerous. It's also increased anger and resentment around the world uh, against the United States, fueling recruitment uh, for uh, organizations with reactionary goals and, and terrorist methods. And uh, it's also profoundly destabilized the Middle East. Uh, and now that the United States has made such a mess in Iraq, they're talking about going after Iran. So we don't see them learning from their mistakes, but instead uh, risking the escalation of those mistakes, much like we saw in Vietnam, where the war was expanded into Laos and Cambodia. It's a very dangerous uh, prospect indeed. Now, th this sounds almost... Uh well, repetitious these days, but I assume you, you believe that the reason that we went in was simply because of its uh, energy potential there in the Middle East, and there was no, uh, you know, uh, fighting for democracy over there or anything like that. Is that oh, no, those, those rationales about fighting for democracy and, and so on, 
Most of them, first of all, came up after the invasion, once the pretext of disarming Iraq of its awesome weapons of mass destruction, uh, once that had fallen apart uh, as a rationale. So then they had to shift the game plan. Uh, and, of course, wars abroad have always been sold to the U.S. public using very noble rhetoric about liberating people from tyranny and spreading democracy. But if you look closely at them, that's rarely had anything to do with the real reasons. Uh, it's been a justification. It's been a cover. It's, it's had a propaganda purpose. And in this case, the crimes uh, that the U.S. Uh, pointed to that the Iraqi government had carried out most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, happened when Saddam Hussein was an ally and friend of the United States. So those aren't very credible pretexts, and uh, it's just impossible to ignore the fact that Iraq has the world's second largest oil reserves. Its oil is very profitable, uh, very cheap to extract, uh, and highly high. it's very high-grade crude uh, in contrast to a lot of the oil in the world market today, which is getting more expensive uh, to extract and refine. Uh, and also it sits in a region geographically that has two-thirds of world oil reserves and the majority of the world's natural gas reserves. And increasingly, you see the United States seeking to control those uh, natural gas reserves, the pipelines associated with natural gas, the shipping lanes, and so on. So if Iraq, uh, if the tyranny of Saddam Hussein had uh, uh, been in a part of the world that didn't have those energy resources, there's no question that this war never would have begun. Yeah, as evidenced by d d d at least a half a dozen countries that we could both name that are run by brutal dictatorships in the United States. There's no interest in, in seeing regime change. Sure. And, oh. uh, you know, the United States has continues to have relationships with brutal dictatorships around the world, notably right now in Central Asia, where, again, there's vast resources of natural gas. Yeah. I want to know if you think we'll ever get to the bottom of the, of the uh, meetings that Cheney had with these oil executives just as the yeah. administration were take, was taking power. And if any, which I do, if any effect that that had on the determination of the United States to invade Iraq. I think we're likely to find out what happened in those meetings, you know, when it's too late. Yeah. Uh, like we often find out with declassified uh, records. Uh, we now know a lot about the Nixon, administ Nixon administration, the Kennedy administration, that activists at the time suspected or predicted uh, and uh, only later was confirmed, I think will confirm many things about this administration. But you don't need uh, much conspiracy theory to deduce that this administration, which has very close ties to the energy industry, uh, had a series of conversations uh, that uh, certainly helped uh, mobilize uh, the agenda of dominating Middle Eastern oil. Uh, and uh, uh, the agenda of attacking Iraq, which is seen as profoundly destabilizing in that region. Uh, and that 9-11 was used as a pretext uh, for that to uh, put a, a kind of defensive cover to sell the war as protecting us from terrorism when really it had different objectives. And I think there's something else just as a side note here, which is uh, if you look at the anti-war movement, uh, we got it right on the war in Iraq. I mean, we predicted mm -hmm. uh, that the Iraqis would resist occupation. We predicted that this would be a costly and bloody enterprise. We also uh, threw into question all of the claims the administration was making about weapons of mass destruction. So 
uh, I think the, the, the credibility of the government uh, is certainly on the line. Uh, the uh, supplicant nature of the establishment media certainly should be called into question. Uh, but also I think it's interesting that those people who got it right aren't being heard from right now, um, aren't, uh, aren't entering to the, into the debate as much as they should. As you're talking, uh, and I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Anthony Arnoff, and he's the author of a, a new book called Iraq, The Logic of Withdrawal. Uh, the, uh, as I'm listening to you, the eerie parallels with the war in Vietnam, you mentioned uh, the expansion of the Vietnam War at, at, really as things were really getting worse in Vietnam mm-hmm. into Laos and, and Cambodia. Uh, the secret bombing of Cambodia, uh, the, uh, that uh, really genocidal uh, attack on, on Cambodia. And not, not many people know how many people in Laos died uh, during the course of the war, which was just a, it had a terrible effect on their society. But I'm hearing, as you're, you're describing these things, the parallels with Vietnam about how uh, the pro- protesters at that time were pretty much on target about what was, what was going you, on. You go back to the book that inspired mine, yeah. Howard Zinn's 1967 book, Vietnam, The Logic of Withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You read it. It's eerily uh, descriptive of many of the problems that we're confronting today uh, as an anti-war movement. And he was right on about the war in Vietnam. And that was in 1967. He was calling for immediate withdrawal. And just think of the human price that was paid for the continuation of the war, the expansion of the war, not just by the Vietnamese, the Laotians, the Cambodians, but people in this country. Yeah. And to this day, we're suffering the consequences. Veterans uh, of, uh, on all sides of the conflict uh, having uh, health effects as a result of exposure to dioxin that was used in Agent Orange, and, and now having a new generation of children being born and passing on those defects. And we, oh, Go ahead. I was going to say, in your, in your book, and what you just said right now, too, you're calling for an immediate withdrawal. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, a lot of people would say that that just plain unwise, that there's going to be, uh, we, we can't, we, although we've created a situation over there, we can't just pull out troops and let everyone have at it. What do you say to that? Well, I, I, I say a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, a lot of people who make that argument are coming from a very good place. They're coming out of concern for the Iraqi people. Uh, and we have to be very clear that that those of us who are advocating immediate withdrawal aren't doing it from an isolationist standpoint, from a standpoint of saying we don't care what happens to the Iraqis. We do. In fact, we care much more about what happens to the Iraqis than this government does. We were the ones talking about the effect of sanctions. We were the ones talking about the humanitarian impact of the last Gulf War. We were the ones saying don't do this to the Iraqi people. Uh, And another argument that people will make is that, well, there'll, there'll be chaos if the United States leaves. Well, there's chaos now, uh, and the chaos has only increased as a result of this intervention. Other people will say, well, there might be civil war. Well, we're fomenting civil war in Iraq. We've increased sectarian divisions. We've fueled sectarian conflicts. We've entrenched in the Constitution political identity being defined by whether one is Sunni or Shia or Kurdish distributing power and encouraging those divisions. Uh, We've also armed certain groups in Iraq, Shia militias, some of which have used the cover of the military, the police, the interior ministry to carry out sectarian attacks. We've used divide and rule strategies. So we're fueling civil war. And then, really, I think we have to add to the demand for immediate withdrawal 
a demand for reparations. I think the Iraqi people are owed a tremendous debt for the harm we've caused them. Uh, we have broken their country. We do have an obligation to fix it, not through military occupation, not through uh, corporate looting of their country, but through aid. Uh, I think the Iraqi people can spend the money far better than Halliburton or Bechtel have proven that I, they can spend it. I wanted to also mention, again, an echo of Vietnam, but this idea of arming militias back. It's well known now that in the Vietnam era, we uh, we had uh, many operations, Operation Phoenix being pro probably the most infamous of, of them, in which we assassinated, we, we got behind um, Vietnamese, killing Vietnamese in, 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 in a way to try and keep control of the uh, country. And when you're talking about the chaos uh, in, in Iraq, um, we're talking about there's uh, one small part of, of, of Iraq that's relatively secure, and that's the green zone in Baghdad, where most of the reporters who go to Iraq now spend their time. What, what we don't hear about, what we don't know about, and what very few reporters are able to really report on is the, the area outside of Baghdad and beyond and how just how much violence and chaos is going on now. That's absolutely true. We're getting a very skewed picture of what's happening in Iraq from the reporters in the green zone, from reporters who are embedded with the military, from reporters who are often just recycling the press statements of the Pentagon, of the uh, coalition authority in Iraq, and those few brave journalists who have tried to go out and tell the story of what's happening in the field, people like Giuliana Sagrena from Il Manifesto in Italy, Dar Jamal from this country who went as an unembedded reporter, Patrick Coburn of The Independent in London, they're telling a much different story. Uh, I spoke recently to Giuliana Sagrena, and she described how each trip that she went uh, into Iraq, she went seven times before she was uh, uh, taken as a hostage there and ultimately released. Uh, each time uh, the situation was getting worse, and she described how journalists were increasingly relying on Iraqis to go out in the field and do reporting for them. Mm -hmm. But 144 Iraqi journalists have been killed in this conflict. Uh, it's tragic. They're risking their lives uh, to get stories back to reporters uh, who are sitting in the, in the comfort of their hotel rooms in, the, in, uh, in, in Baghdad or in, in the Green Zone. Now, uh, um, we, we've had Robert Fisk on also, and he's described very much the same way that it, what he, he called it uh, laptop journalism. Sure, yeah. Yeah. laptop journalism or laptop warriors. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. you notice how often these people are, are willing to write sentences about how we should send people off to die or engage in counterinsurgency operations or to kill other people, people like Thomas Friedman, who sits in New York writing essays about uh, how we should be targeting civilian infrastructure in Iraq. I mean, they're, these aren't just laptop uh, 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 journalists. They're, 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 they're keyboard warriors. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Anthony Arnoff. Uh, his book is Iraq, The Logic of Withdrawal. And, and right now, is there anyone in Congress uh, who has any sort of plan for withdrawal that you would support? Well, uh, look, I'm, uh, I know I'm in a minority on this one, but okay. uh, I, I'm profoundly disappointed at all the proposals that have been put forward. Uh, by the Democratic Party, uh, including the Murtha proposal. The Murtha proposal is the best of the proposals on offer, but you've got to look closely at it. It's not genuinely a withdrawal it's proposal. Right? It's a redeployment yeah. proposal. Yeah. Uh, and it's a proposal that relies on the idea that the United States will continue to police Iraq, uh, but relying more on air power 
and also relying on what's called an over-the-horizon presence, which means continued troops on the ground in the Middle East, bases in the Middle East, air power in the Middle East. Uh, and I just think it, it shifts the problem. Uh, it's certainly better than what we have right now, but I think it doesn't address the, the larger issue of the United States uh, seeking to be this hegemonic power in the Middle East, the anger that that provokes, the problems that that gets us into, um, and the, the fact that it's also ultimately based on the idea of controlling a resource which is dwindling, a resource which is environmentally destructive, a resource which is only going to lead to future uh, conflicts. Uh, and we have to come up with a far more sustainable approach uh, to our relationship to other countries, to our relationship to the environment, to our relationship uh, to these resources that other countries uh, control, that we don't control. Um, and, uh, and the MIRTHA plan also reflects a very interesting uh, element that, that hasn't been much discussed, which is that MIRTHA is the leading recipient in Congress of money from the space weapons lobby. Uh, these are the folks who want to weaponize space uh, and want the United States to have a monopoly on the projection of military force from space. That's a very dangerous road to go down. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it brings us closer to the idea of nuclear accident uh, or nuclear warfare. Uh, there's other things that are being done right now to develop nuclear technology that are equally worrisome. Um, and so this idea of reliance on air power, reliance on space weapons, uh, is a very frightening prospect indeed. Once again, echoes of Vietnam, right? When, uh, absolutely. When, when we couldn't absolutely. bring... And I think yeah. we've, we've really got to start asking questions about why are we in this situation again? Yeah. Why Vietnam? Why Iraq? What's the next war going to be? Is it going to be Iran? Is it going to be Syria? Right. Is, uh, we've got to start addressing the economic, the institutional roots of this constant war-making. Well, I, I think that, you know, really, you know, without exaggerating, we are talking about the kind of potential destruction that could end to the end of the human species. Yeah, yeah, it, it, because, right, I just want to reemphasize re it, at the end, of, near the end of the, during, certainly during the Nixon administration, when, it, when the United States became increasingly more frustrated with their inability to win the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese people, which is very much what's going on here in Iraq, we resorted to carpet bombing Haiphong and Hanoi to a point where, I mean, it was, we were, it was, it was, it was about Killing civilian again, once again, you mentioned Friedman, destroying in a civilian infrastructure. That's yeah. what this is about. That's what it seems like Iraq is moving towards. Um, we had Seymour Hersha on uh, not long ago and talking about a very a greatly underreported story, which is we're now the United States is relying more and more heavily on air power, and we're using Iraqis now to spot our 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 airstrikes or air sorties. And you're, then you start talking about these sectarian kind of disputes and who's Absolutely. doing what. You have no idea really what kind of damage you're doing to the to the infrastructure of uh, of Iraq anymore. I mean, we have no idea as an American people. And I want to point out one other thing, which, which goes back to Vietnam, but I think it, it, it really reflects on what we're talking about here. By all accounts, the U.N. and even the United States uh, State Department agrees that we – were responsible for the death of somewhere between two, three, three and a half million people in Vietnam. So it's not as if we have some kind of a uh, a conscience about how many people are going to be destroyed or are killed in this war. It is about winning. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And you can now read in the pages of the Wall Street Journal, for example, there was an op-ed recently by a writer from the American Enterprise Institute right. in which he advocated 
a pacification campaign right. in Baghdad. Those were his, his words, again, yeah. an echo of Vietnam. Right. And he said it would lead to, in his words, skyrocketing body counts. Right. But that's acceptable price for them to pay in order right. to conquer Iraq, set up a client state that will be allied with the United States, will allow it to have military bases, and will get the oil flowing to the West. They don't care if they're skyrocketing right. and, body counts. And they're also talking about the El Salvador option, uh, and if you look at what that means, the arming of death squads, intensification of, quote-unquote, counterinsurgency operations, it it is a frightening prospect indeed. And some of the people now involved in U.S.-Iraq policy have a record of being involved in counterinsurgency operations in Latin America, which led to tens of thousands of deaths. We uh, absolutely, we, uh, we've... Yes, Otto Reich and uh, Elliot Abrams and these kinds of people are back. And John Negroponte. John Negroponte are back in the picture. And again, I mean, I, I remember Professor Chomsky talking about what does it say about an American about American culture that that most people, the vast majority of people, have no idea how many people died in Vietnam. It, when you say, when I tell people, somewhere around three million Vietnamese died during the course of the Vietnam War, they think that I'm making it up. And 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 this, these are historic facts. And yet we don't have any con- conception of these kinds of things that are going on. And once again, we're embroiled in another, another part of the world, and you're talking body counts. And I know it's, it's, part of, it's a part of our – it's a systemic problem. Isn't that really what we're talking about here? It's a, it's a systemic problem, and uh, we're not helped by the fact that our school system, our, our, our establishment media, don't want to teach us that history. Yeah. Uh, if people knew the history of empire, they would be – far more skeptical about the claims of their leaders to be bringing democracy and liberation to other people by bombing them. Uh, You know, George Bush in 2003 cited the occupation of the Philippines uh, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, as a model for the occupation of Iraq. He meant that as a positive thing. Uh, But if you know the history of what the U.S. did to the Filipino people, uh, you'll view that uh, in a much different, much more critical light. If you know what the United States did in Vietnam, you'll be less likely to think that the U.S. has to stay in Iraq to be a force uh, of, of help and assistance to the Iraqi people. If you know even what the United States has done in Iraq or what the British did when they were the occupying power. Um, so that history, really, we've got to bring out, bring into the discussion, help people get that broader general picture that it's not just about George Bush, an individual. It's not just about this administration. It's a much broader, deeper problem. Democrat and Republican uh, have often had a bipartisan consensus on, on the projection of U.S. power around the world to control markets, to suppress nationalist movements, uh, to uh, defend what's called the national interest. Uh, it's a much deeper problem. But what I'm encouraged by is that you look at the situation, despite all the hype, despite all the propaganda, the majority of people in this country think it was wrong to have invaded Iraq. Mm-hmm. Soldiers uh, were recently polled in Iraq, active-duty troops who are on the ground there seeing what's happening. 72% said that they want to come home within a year. 29% said immediately. You have military families. You have soldiers speaking out, groups like Iraq Veterans Against War, conscientious objectors, uh, more desertions. And you have a decline in recruitment for the military this year, a steep decline. So people are putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, I just think that 
they don't necessarily feel like they can do anything. Right. Yeah, uh, they don't feel like yeah. they can make a difference. And that's where I think groups like IVAW, uh, military f- uh, families groups, uh, counter-recruitment groups are beginning to have an impact by showing people you can make a difference. Is that the best way, I mean, th- through these uh, groups uh, for an immediate withdrawal in Iraq? I, or? I think it's very important. IVAW, Iraq Veterans Against War, is calling for immediate withdrawal. They're calling for reparations, and they're also calling for money to, to help veterans uh, who, you know, our government says support our troops, but all they mean by that is support the government that sends them needlessly uh, in harm's way. Don't support the actual troops. Don't support them when they come back injured and wounded and sick, and don't give them health care and education, or don't give people the kind of job opportunities which would mean that they didn't feel compelled to join the military uh, as the only way of getting an education or getting uh, employment, which uh, is something that they rely on. Um, but uh, I think that's a very important element. You go back to the Vietnam War, yeah. people don't know this, but there was a rebellion in the rank of the U.S. military, uh, in the ranks of the U.S. military. There's a film out right now, Sir, No Sir, that brilliantly documents this. And there's a book that uh, I recommend highly uh, to your listeners called Soldiers in Revolt. It's by David Courtright. Uh, it was updated recently by David with a new introduction by Howard Zinn, the historian, uh, published by Haymarket Books. And, and the film and this book tell a story about how the soldiers organized, uh, put out newsletters, uh, resisted orders from their superiors, uh, formed uh, um, uh, a, a serious part of the U.S. anti-war movement, completely in contrast to this myth that the anti-war movement was anti-soldier, was just a bunch of hippie students, spat on the soldiers, and all that nonsense that was invented in order to discredit a movement that exposed the war crimes of the U.S. during Vietnam and brought an end to that war. By by the way, we have a fair number of uh, Iraqi veterans who are running for Congress, which which I think is an encouraging sign that they are trying to take some control over this. and uh, we're just running desperately short on time here. The one other thing that I want to mention, and that is one of the uh, effects of the Vietnam War, as Vietnam veterans were coming home, we saw an increase in the crime rate around the country. And I noticed that last week we saw um, an, the first time an increase in, in uh, violent crime in the United States in, in quite some time. I think this is just one more b- sad, horrifying Absolutely. effect. Absolutely. Last year we saw a record number the highest number of suicides among U.S. soldiers since right after the 1991 Gulf War. There you go. It's no accident. No, it isn't. Anthony Arnoff, I want to thank you so much. The book, Iraq, The Logic of Withdrawal, Forward and Afterward by Howard Zinn. Uh, terrific book. Uh, thank you for being on Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me on. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals. <laughs>